0: Okay. Well, good morning, church. My name is Rihanna. Everyone calls me Ree. Please feel welcome to go ahead and act like we're friends. That's I'm so on board for that. Um, I really feel like this is a secondary message because after hearing a a mini sermon about um, pooey nappies, I feel like all that has been said has been said. So um, you know, just count this as your secondary opportunity to hear from the Lord, because I feel like I won't forget that. And I was grateful that I. Haven't eaten breakfast yet. Joel? (laughs) Yuck. Um, So, we have um, only just kind of like started our year in the church with our vision, the Jesus way. There it is, there. Um, It is our vision this year that we would follow, um, actually, why say it when I can read it? We can be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so, that is kind of our vision for the whole church this year. But we wanted to start with this almost just like mini series that's called Jesus is King because we don't want to fall into the trap of um, thinking that the Jesus way is just kind of like a Christian version of like a self-help thing and that sa- salvation is earned by things that we can do and practices that we can be disciplined in and things like that. But instead, Je- uh, instead, salvation can only come through Jesus and through accepting him as the, um, as the king and as our great redeemer and our true saviour. And so um, it's important that from the very outset, before we start these really practical steps of practicing the Jesus way, we acknowledge that there must be a change of authority over our life for us to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so that is our kind of heart behind this, Um, what has turned out to be just like a girls series. So our new series starts next week and it's just been the ladies so far. So there will be guys coming if that's um, a concern that's been raised. But um, yeah, this one's just been the girls declaring that Jesus is king. So um, I am starting, I'm speaking from Matthew 4, Uh, 18 to 19. It's just a little small passage in the New Testament and it is titled, Jesus calls his first disciples. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And even though like literally it was and um, for us it literally might be calling the call of Jesus to follow him might be, Um, literal, that we would take a step away from physical habits and lifestyle choices and things like that. What we're actually seeing here is that we are being called to step into a new identity in Christ. And that was true for these two men and that is still true for us today, that would lead us into a new purpose and direction for our whole lives, the destination and also the journey. And I feel like this theme and this kind of idea that is shown, I mean, like it's the very premise of the... um, of the gospel, but it's like actually following Jesus, seeing disciples go to, from town to town into different circumstances, into different interactions, things like that. That idea that we as Christians aren't just like saying something, proclaiming it and standing it, but we are following Jesus, I feel like is so helpful to understand what our actual Christian faith looks like, that it's moving and dynamic and constantly changing because we're not just standing where we started, but we're following the one who is leading us. And so On that note, let me pray. I know that Joel already did, but as we just get into it, Lord, I just want to reveal you from the very start, Lord, that uh, your name would be hallowed, that it would be at the centre of each and everything that we do, that we consider, and that we um, decide on going forward. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in and through this place. And as, um, like Joel challenged us, we would take that as individuals and we would take that as an individual charge to... um, come face to face with you and confront the truth of what's holding us back from declaring that Jesus is in fact the King. And so we pray for transformation, for restoration, and for a divine anointing of understanding this morning. I pray that your word would be alive and active in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so as a kind of like aside, I just wanted to encourage those who are in the room today who would already identify as Christians. So at one point in your life, you have accepted that call to that Jesus says to follow me. And this is something that has ministered to me so constantly over the last few weeks, especially like preparing for this, but also just like um, in like circumstances of life that we're kind of going through. I was like so challenged that, you know, for all of us as an encouragement, God will call you into these unique spirit-led, wonderfully like crazy experiences. And he will because we are all like uniquely positioned and perfectly equipped to be able to do what he's given us. But as Charles Spurgeon says in his study of Matthew, he said, our Lord did not call idlers, but fishers. And Peter and Andrew are just like two people amongst many others in the Bible who were called by God, but they were doing things when they were called. David was keeping his father's sheep. Matthew was working at the tax collector's table. Moses was tending to the flock. And this kind of just reiterates this idea that there is no season of waiting in our Christian walk. You know, it's easy to think that it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm in a season of waiting, but that so quickly cheapens our experience and cheapens what God can do by labelling it. Don't get me wrong, there can be big things that we're waiting for and big things that we are, um, you know, asking God for and seeking him for. But once we are called onto that path and once we are called by a good saviour, it's not up to us to decide what we're waiting for and what's good for us anymore. And so if I could encourage you, If nothing else, don't even speak the words that you're in a season of waiting because God can do so much more and he can work so many things together that you could not even ask or imagine in those times where we discount it as like, oh, this is my season of waiting. Like, so that has been like a real blessing to me to realise that and has really like taken me out of like this like self-deprecating, like self-pitying mentality and instead just trusting that God would do whatever he wants in my life and already in that short amount of time, a few weeks, I've been able to look back and think, oh, it actually was a completely different perspective, you know, like there are things that I'm waiting for, there's things that all of us are waiting for, but it's not a season of waiting, so that's just a little side little bonus for you. And so what I want to talk about is this kind of idea of what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What does it actually mean to take um, him as king and as the new authority over our life? And, you know, I think that it's really important to acknowledge that he's, Inviting us to follow him at the very start in the nature of salvation, but also constantly through our Christian walk through sanctification. We need to always choose to hear and um, obey when Jesus says, "Follow me." And I want to just talk about what that actually looks like for us. And obviously, it's an answer that personally develops throughout our whole life. You know, we learn that unforced rhythm of grace, and sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's really tricky. But you know, we're constantly learning. But There's a really powerful illustration later in Matthew, in Matthew um, chapter 7, where Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount. And he says it like this. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And that's like a bit of a hard one to read, I reckon. This was a foundational verse for our vision the Jesus way and we wanted to really you know not just have this big like prosperity it's easy it's so good but like it can be difficult and only few can find this path to life and I find this like image of the two paths as we look at the trajectory of our life to be so helpful in understanding what it means to be a Christian who's following Jesus but I think it's easy to and let's not make the mistake of thinking that we're at a crossroads you know like we're looking at one gate and it's big and wide and it's obvious that that one leads to destruction and then there's this like little narrow one and it leads to, you know, life and life to the full. Like, I don't think, and scripture like definitely backs up the fact that it's not a crossroads because we all start on this wide path and we, it's easy to walk on the path. And that's almost the one that we're kind of like on by default, this broad path, it's easily followed without thought and it's the pathway that the entire world is on. And instead of staring at these two options, a separate choice needs to be made altogether to get off the path, enter the narrow gate, and answer the call that Jesus gives us to follow him. He's not asking us to follow where, you know, the um, patterns of the world are going. He's asking us to follow him into the narrow gate and and the narrow path. And um, throughout the Bible, there are so many instances, because, like I said, this illustration is actually really helpful. I'm not mature enough to deal with this. Um. Okay. So there are instances, like, throughout the whole Bible describing what, like, walking this narrow path actually looks like. And, you know, though it's, like, easy to think the narrow path is, like, tumultuous and hectic, like, listen to a few of these Bible verses. John, John 16, 33 says, "'Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And then Psalm 23, which might be on the screen in NIV, sorry Cam, is, um, but let me read it from the message. You can follow along in NIV. The message is just a paraphrase anyway. Um, it says, I don't need a thing. Oh no, it says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. And even when the way, so even when that path goes through death valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty sh- shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chases chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. And I think that is just like this beautiful depiction of the path of God and the one that we're called towards. But like, If it's so great and there's so many wonderful things and God carries our burdens and there's, you know, a light to where we're walking, it sounds like magical. So why would someone not choose this path or stray from this path when we're given the option? Heaps of reasons. Firstly, like I couldn't help but shake this idea and a few like um, difficult conversations I've had with people in my life in the like recent week or so has confirmed this, is that we have a culture that wants to avoid acknowledging the like inevitability of death. You know, we don't want to kind of talk about that and we don't want to really like look to that. We kind of and so this promise like that one path leads to life and one la- one path leads to destruction almost doesn't create like a main objective but it creates a consolation, you know? It's like I'll kind of deal with that one when we get there. Maybe I'll be the person on my deathbed to be like, "Okay, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus." You know? Like it's it's not this main focus especially in western culture. And I think that that can be, like, a real obstruction. Like, why would I kind of, like, suffer now? Only to, You know, like, Western culture really just, like, avoids the inevitability of death and views it as a strictly negative thing, which I can understand because, like, grief and morbidity is left in the world. But also I feel like the broad and the easy way it can be followed without thought, you know. There is like so much space to walk out there and there are treasures to accrue and there's accolade to wear and there's like goodness to be compared to everyone else and there's things that we can store and there's like um, self-appointed righteousness that we can just like walk along. And of course with that comes the fear of losing those things when Jesus tells us Like, leave that and follow me. And we don't want to lose those things. We don't want to lose that measurable success, the pride that comes with that, the righteousness, which is indicative of our inherently sinful nature because we don't only fear losing these things, we fear losing everything that we are. And that includes the right to continue living as if we are our own God. When we enter the narrow path, there's no, there's no space for us to assume that we are Lord in our lives. But instead, in Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that is like so true of the world, is we can assume that we have this objective, righteous sense of morality, but it's not about doing what we think is right. It's about doing what Jesus is calling us to do. And even that can just, like, be an um, obstruction for us following this narrow path. And so um, another place that kind of, like, reiterates that idea of, like, I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought I was doing what God kind of wanted me to do without actually listening to Jesus. We see it um, in the Gospel of Luke and it's, again, Jesus repeats these words of follow me. Um, we read an account of these three separate men who have an interaction with Jesus. And so it's in Luke 9, verse 57, um, and it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, him is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes, and dens, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Eugene Peterson writes in that message paraphrase, he said, are you ready to rough it? We're not staying at the best inns, you know. And I think that that really sums up the like, tone that Jesus is using with this man, you know. And then Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And we read this passage, and from the outset, Jesus can kind of seem pretty cruel in this and out of touch, you know. Like with the first man, the first man is like, oh, I will follow you. And he comes with this like um, devotion and desire to be able to follow Jesus. And we see Jesus' response being like, kind of like savage here, you know. He's like, we're not staying in the best places. But what Jesus is actually doing is discerning a wrong heart behind a right statement. Like that proverb says, you know, this man is looking for a king who is going to overthrow the government. You, and he's looking for a Messiah that's going to win. He wants a king that he can expect justice from, an overthrown nation and someone who he wants to follow who would be like an authoritative king. But Jesus comes and says, that's not the king. Or the saviour that I am. I'm coming to save the world by laying down my life. And in order to follow me, you must do the same. It's not what you're expecting. And then the next two men, both of their reasons are sound. You know, both of their reasons are reasonable. Until you look at what what they're actually saying. They say, I will follow you, but first... And it's not inherently wrong to want to have a funeral for your family. Jesus isn't discarding grief. And it's not wrong to want to say goodbye to your family when you're on a one-way ticket away. Like, those things aren't inherently wrong, but that's not what Jesus is getting at. It's the, it's the fact that they had a but first in their heart. And this is where we find the mark of a true disciple. They would have no other first but Jesus. And just as the first commandment declares, we shall have no other God but him. So when Jesus calls, and if you get it, if you really understand who is calling you, And if you see that he is the only way to get to real life, all of your but first, but first I need to just like check my emails, but first I need to just like get my kids in order, but first I need to just like climb the ladder a few more times and then I'll give to you. Like all of these but first fade away at the feet of Jesus when we know the one who is calling us. And further along the um, narrow gate, skinny path, I feel like, Um, it's not just, like, discipline and good choices and, like, you know, like I said before, it's not us practising the way through our own strength because there's actually a cost to get through that gate. And is it a small cost? Um, I don't know. Luke 14 verse 33 tells us um, the cost is that we have to surrender all. Just surrender everything. And if you want um, more challenge on that, Jess preached two weeks ago. It's on the Spotify app, wherever you listen to your podcast. On the 19th of March, she preached this message that went about surrender and it went, went about idols. And um, we talked about it that night, actually, and we were all just like, we were shook by that. It was very convicting, and I would encourage you to listen if you haven't already. And so we just need to surrender all. That's the first cost. And we also need to be... Um, right with God before you enter. So we just need to be sinless and blameless and righteous in the kingdom of heaven. So um, I feel like that probably discounts, no offence, all of us. <laughs> but that's to say that we can't do it ourselves. And 2 Corinthians, just after the verse that um, Joel read as our like, weekly scripture this week, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 said, He made him who knew, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the message says, I love that it's like answering the question of when we're saying like, so how do we actually like enter this gate and walk this path? The message version says, how you ask? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. And that is how it sums it up. The cost of that is something that we could never pay. It's something that we could never be righteous enough to assume that we could get entry into this path. But instead, Jesus says, hey, guess what? I paid your cost through, through not only my life, but also my death and my resurrection. I took it all so that you can have access to these paths with these big promises. And in addition to calling us to follow him, so he paid that entry cost so that we don't need to walk in the way of the world. We don't need to submit to the oppressive culture. And instead, he offers us this personal and intimate call. And Joel, I think what you were saying before about how like, we come and we hear from God collectively, which is a beautiful thing of church and a beautiful thing of community, but I think it's a prophetic thing for our church at the moment to know that we are called individually. And Nikki said a few weeks ago, she was saying, you know, I really value what I do as a parent, but I know at the end of the day, I will be standing in front of Jesus by myself. And I think that that is a difficult reality because we associate ourselves so closely with what we do and who's around us and things that we plant our identity in that we forget that at the end of the day and when we come to this gate, it's not how we're doing in our marriage faith, how we're doing in our church, how I'm doing in my friend circle or my connect group or whatever that looks like. It's actually a personal um, interaction and a personal encounter and a personal conviction that we have alone. And so it is this like personal, intimate call that carries deep significance in our day-to-day life, but also carries the hope that goes beyond our human lives. The narrow pathway, like I said before, refers both to this need to convert from our old ways through salvation, and, but also for the continuing process of sanctification and submitting to him constantly, Jesus says, follow me. And when our default wants to walk back onto the wide path in the ways that we once knew, Jesus says, follow me. Again, again, again. No, I've picked up more sin. I've picked up more accolade. I've done this again, again and again and again. And his grace and his righteousness and his death and resurrection says, I've paid the cost for that. Come back to the path where we can walk together, where I can lead you. And so to the person who's hearing this today, who may hear the call to follow Jesus, into this whole new, new way of life, maybe, through, maybe for the first time. The only way is through a yes to Jesus. And this response comes through a faith-filled prayer that personally we would accept Jesus' call to follow him. And the invitation to enter the path that leads to a totally different destination, you know, that, might, that honestly in our humanness we might just view as a consolation, but as well as a different destination, we also have a completely different journey to get there that the world offers. We get to walk in a way that is not the pattern of the world, that doesn't have to conform to what the world says, that our identity doesn't need to be planted in these fleeting things, but instead is a path that's marked with peace and joy and an assurance of the things that we cannot see. And to the Christian who has heard the call before, the invitation is that you would consider in your heart whether there are any but firsts. And if you hear something pressing on your spirit to do something, something big or something that we might perceive to be small, you know, like, but first, like, I will spend time with the Lord and I will do devotion and I will read the Bible, but first I really just want to empty my inbox. I just want to make sure that there's anything there that I need to deal with. But first I really just want to, like, go and get this checked out so I can, um, you know, do it with a sound mind. All of these things, though they may seem good and may be, they, they may be, though they may be acceptable and reasonable, That is something that we need to repent for and come before the Lord and say, Lord, you are my only but first. God is continuously calling us to follow him. And are you still following him in the way that you once were when you first answered the call or when you had a, um, like a reignition of the heart to follow him? Is the Lord still your first love? And to close, I bend, feel welcome to come back up. But I want to pray for you guys, and I also want to read Luke 9, verse 23 to 25. Then he said to them all, This is Jesus speaking, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose and forfeit their very self? Would you pray with me, church? Lord, as you call us constantly, I pray that we would have boldness to answer. I pray, Lord, that we're sorry for the times that we've let distractions get in the way, that we have let the the noise of the world and the ruckus of the wide path take our attention, that we've picked up our old self, that we've picked up things that we have found value in in this world, Lord. And I pray as we are standing on the precipice of a gate, whether that's for a new season or whether that's for the first time, Lord, that You would just help to strip off our old self, our sense of righteousness, our sense of pride, any sense that we have taken up king or queenship on ourselves, Lord, that You would cast that to the side and instead clothe us with Your righteousness that this would feel like an intimate call so personal, that it would feel like you're reaching a hand out and that all we need to do is take it, Lord. And for each and every person who agrees, Lord, it's a yes from us. And I pray that it would be a yes every day that we walk, in everywhere we go, in every conversation we have, it would be a yes from us. Lord, as a congregation and as a group of individuals, I hand over the authority that we would enter a new kingdom that heads that directs us in a new to a new destination and that we would sense that in our day-to-day lives that we're on the way to someone else somewhere else and the path before us is illuminated and we would feel your joy and your hope and your promises would come alive to us as we walk this path that though it feels burdensome we have a savior who carries our burdens and so God, if it's a yes from us, I pray that there would be instant transformation in those who have been believers for years and years and years, for those who are just facing reconciliation with You now, God. I pray for transformation, for restoration and a divine anointing of Your Holy Spirit. May we be changed from this day forward, Lord, and as we go out into fellowship after the service, pray that we would have conversations to encourage one another to guide each other back onto the narrow path, to speak life into one another and to um, communally declare that You are a good God, You are a willing Saviour and You are worth trusting with our lives. We love You, Lord, and we thank You, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship the One who saved us, hey?